On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to... Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our interview with Chris Hunt. Definitely difficult when a million plus dollars is thrown in your face. But uh, like I said, for us, it was the motivation to do something worthwhile in this world and uh, making a product that can help people and just help people have fun. Chris, um, so for anybody who maybe missed part one, can you again give us a 30 second overview on how high power cycles? Yeah, uh, my name is Chris Hunt with High Power Cycles. I'm one of the founders. We started about 10 years ago. Uh, we make awesome U.S.-made electric bikes. Uh, electric bikes are kind of like normal bikes uh, that you pedal, but you have a throttle or you have pedal assist and you have extra power in your legs whenever you want. So you can go farther, see more uh, terrain, have more fun, go faster, and uh yeah, we, we just concentrate on keeping everything as United States made as possible. Um, and we're one of the few companies doing it. Pretty much everything you see is outsourced and from overseas, but we're one of the one of the ones grinding to get it done at home. So, um, and, and I want to talk about that. And, and for anybody who didn't catch part one of the episode, the thing I think is awesome is their fastest bike. You know, they got 60, 70 pound bikes doing 60 miles an hour, which is pretty awesome for a big off-road bike. Looks like a downhill mountain bike. Um, so talking about this idea of keeping it made at home, uh, it seems like, uh, you have to be pretty intentional about the way you manufacture and what you buy and what you spend and probably consistently looking for ways to be more effective, um, on, on getting that produced at home and being able to still offer it at a competitive price. Yeah. The, the pricing is definitely the toughest part, you know, I, I, we try to have a fair price, but doing it home is literally, I mean, the frame itself is to make the U S made a basic frame is, is probably costing us seven times more than what it, it used to take when uh, we had a foreign made frame, um, of the same type, either in Taiwan or, or uh, China. So it's definitely, it's definitely raised the cost a lot, but I, I feel like the, the quality more than justifies it, but not only the quality, but just, just having the guts to get it done at home. Uh, you know, I, I think it's worth it. It's worth it to me personally. Um, and we'll try to keep margins down a little bit just, uh, to keep the price points down on most of the bikes. Um, but to me it's, it's, it's worth it. It's a worth trade off. And a lot of our customers actually really appreciate, um, what it takes to be U.S. made, and I'm actually going to launch a video on our YouTube channel uh, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, about the revolution and how it's actually made, and there's a lot of behind-the-scenes footage of everything that we do and everything that goes into it. So I think instead of just seeing a product, they're like, oh, you know, they probably just buy it as is. Uh, they get, they'll get to see a behind-the-scenes look of 
everything that goes into it. Um, it's a long and tedious process Yeah. to even make a frame, to even start building from scratch. Sure. Well, um, can you talk a little bit about your approach on organic growth versus taking our sorts of investor dollars and, and how you've built an organization, uh, maybe a little more disciplined than, than other folks who risk everything? Yeah, I mean, I know it's non-traditional, but it's just I went with my gut and how I felt and kind of how I was raised. My uh, my dad is actually blind, and he uh, went completely blind probably by the time I was five years old. I'm 34 years old right now, um, and you know he couldn't. He used to be able to drive a car and read a book, but he went completely blind. Um, and he was one of my inspirations. He started a a winery over over 20 years ago called Hunt Cellars in uh, Paso Robles, and they have a 550 acre vineyard up there. And uh, you know he, you know, it's just been inspiring to see, you know, someone that physically can't see anything get it done in their business and deliver a superior product. Um, so I learned a lot from him. You know, you know, he, I think he's the one that cautioned about borrowing money and how hard it is to pay back. Um, so, you know, we, we never wanted to give away our business or part of our business. And like, it was okay to us because we love what we do. We love the excitement and the joy and the smiles it brings on people's faces when they ride our bikes. Um, cause it's only when you ride it, do you understand really what it is and the significance of it? Um, so we didn't really want it. We weren't in it to get rich quick or anything like that. We just love what we did and we love delivering a product that was actually helpful and beneficial to society. Um, so we were like, you know, whatever it is, what it is, we'll, we'll grow at our own pace. Um, and we'll just see where it takes us. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty amazing story with your dad. Can you talk about just some of the, the, the ways he set an example for you in dealing with that type of challenge, but continuing to push ahead? Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've learned is his mental fortitude and his toughness because, it sucks, but I've seen firsthand, you know, how people will take advantage of people in business. It's, it's, it's very cutthroat at times and you kind of have to dance a delicate balance between being very firm, uh, bordering on aggressive when you need to be, but also, you know, nice when, when you can, uh, and accommodating. Um, but you know, I, I've seen people, you know, just outright lie to him about, uh, barrels in the barrel room and wine being full and how many barrels of this is there and what's there. And we go up there and, you know, the Zinfandel is gone or like half drinking and, you know, there's missing barrels, missing cases of wine, like just outright lies. Cause my dad can't see. So what, what, what is he going to do? He's like, Oh, you, you know, let me, let me see what, what you have you know, he can't, he can't, he can't see anything. So he's not going to call him out. It has to be someone else that knows what he said and you know, what he's told my dad. So it's, it was up to us a couple of times to go up there and kind of surprise them and see if they're telling the truth. But it happened time and time again, where they would take advantage of my father's sight. So he developed, a, <laughs> so I think it's overboard sometimes, but I, I see why the, that toughness gene is in him and why he'll just go off on someone when they need to be gone off on. Um, and you know, he won't lay down or give up or, you know, let anyone take advantage of him, uh, if you can help it. So he's super tough in that regard. And I, I see why, and I see the importance of that, but you got really got to balance it and not come off as a complete jerk. <laughs> um, interesting how so often when someone has something like that, um, that society says, Oh, that's too bad. And, you know, I guess you need to give up on your dreams and 
we need to, you know, you need to become realistic and, uh, you know, all these, all these things that, um, would give people the chance to be let off the hook from, from having the same life as other folks because they have a disadvantage in some way, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then if, uh, people want to read about it or you, there is a great, it was probably the best, best little short video I've seen on him to date, uh, Fox business flew down from, uh, New York to uh, interview him at the winery and uh, they have a, a little video on the Fox business uh, channel on the Fox business news. Um, and his name is David hunt and the winery's hunt sellers, but you can watch that video and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty inspiring, even though it's short, it's a great video. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Well, um, talk about this idea of investors trying to throw money at you and, and your decision to keep growing the business the way that you have. Definitely difficult when a million plus dollars is thrown in your face. But uh, like I said, for us, it was the motivation to do something worthwhile in this world and uh, making a product that can help people and just help people have fun that I just didn't want to give up the reins even partially to, to anybody else. And I just wanted to, along with my brother, just steer our own ship. Um, and you know, just have faith that we could grow it ourselves and that we would be a viable business without anyone else's help. Kind of be able to, uh, deliver on the promise of the brand, maybe then just focusing on profits to accommodate an investor. Is that a bit of yeah, where you're yeah, going there? Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't want anyone telling what to me, what to do or their input. I didn't want their input in my business. <laughs> it's funny to hear that because, uh, because I know that feeling so much, you know, and in some ways, it's gotten me into trouble sometimes when I haven't had enough humility and haven't uh, been honest enough about my situations when I've tried to invent something new or go a new direction, right? Yeah. And then there's other times where the people I work with, they come back to me and it's a year later, or 18 months later, and they're like, Jess, I just, I just have to apologize. You know, I, I honestly thought this was never going to work and I really held back and, you know, I thought you were crazy and... <laughs> and you totally proved me wrong. And, you know, and um, so it's interesting, especially for somebody like you, who is literally inventing something that hasn't existed and pushing into something where, where people haven't been, you're not out there, you know, doing a commodity business that everybody knows what the result is looking like. You're literally inventing a new version of the sport, a new aspect of the sport. Yeah, we, uh, I'm super excited about that because, you know, everything we've done in the past is giving us the money to, to do something even cooler in the future. So now we're working on uh, these U.S.-made sine wave controllers that are going to be specific for military use, first and foremost, because uh, the military has purchased uh, revolutions and uh, folding bikes and batteries, and they've tested a lot of our kits, and they've been putting it through insane testing that I had never even knew was a thing. Um, and once they explained what, like at their Lockheed Martin proving grounds, like what, what they actually do, it just threw me for a loop on how difficult, uh, the testing was. So we're like, you know, what, this is a, a really cool application for our bikes. And if our bikes can actually survive military applications and the rigorous testing that they go through, then the civilian market is going to be that much easier for us. So a lot of our new products, we're, we're developing control, U.S.-made controllers from scratch for, I know I want to use in the military, so it's, it's going to be like for military use. What is it controlling? So a speed controller basically is taking the signal of your throttle 
uh, and converting it to a way that it can power the hall sensors and the uh, phases inside the electrical motor. And it allows it to spin freely and smoothly. So when you actually press the twist the throttle, you know, it's going to engage the, the motor and the motor is going to spin at a particular RPM or, you know, just like the throttle in the car. When you press that throttle, that the wheel is going to spin. It, it's kind of the interface that allows the power transmission to the motor from the battery. So it takes the battery power and your the signal that you give it with your throttle and then it converts it to actually spinning the wheel. Okay. Spinning the motor. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor and then I want to hear why that's so important to you. Okay. So Chris, right before the sponsor break, we were talking about um the, the controller that you're so passionate about building. Tell us mm-hmm. why that becomes a game changer, why that's such an advantage for you know, rigorous military testing that would eventually create a better civilian bike as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this, um, the U S made controller that we're making is, uh, we're in, it's going to be expensive to produce, but it's going to be ultra reliable. It's completely overbuilt. We really believe in overbuilding everything. So, you know, our motors are going to be capable of putting out a lot more power than they actually do. Cause I believe in reserves, same with our battery systems, they're going to be capable of outputting a lot higher amps than we actually run it at, just because when you're when you're this you have cells rated for say 10c, um, 10c means uh, if the capacity is 10 amp hours, that's basically how much energy is in the battery, then it can do 10 times the, the rated capacity of the battery in terms of uh, continuous discharge. So that would mean that 10 amp hour battery could discharge at 100 amps. If you have that kind of capability, I'm going to scale it back probably 30%, 35%, and maybe output only 70, 65 amps. Um, just because when you do that, the, the batteries aren't even trying hard. Uh, they're not working. They're not overheating. You don't need to worry about massive cooling infrastructure. And uh, everything just stays kind of happy and not getting overly worked. So we're going to overbuild this new controller system. And uh, we're going to put a lot of high-end parts. It's going to be completely waterproof. It's going to just be – we're trying to make it bulletproof, almost literally, um, or maybe literally. Um, but but when we do that, then you know the, the crazy things that they were doing, like 24 or 48-hour constant use up steep, heavy terrain, switching riders, like nonstop type of stuff – uh, if it can hold up to that, then you know it'll be that much easier for the casual commuter that uses it once or two, two, two times or three times a week. Yeah. When you think about the rest of us listening to the episode and the organizations were growing or transforming, and um, help us think about how that principle would apply, because it feels like so often to win business, we we need to basically show the customer everything we've got, and we need to, um, you know, we need to max everything out every time. But as you're saying that, it makes me feel like, you know, the long-term advantage of consistently over-delivering is worth the short-term disadvantage of maybe missing out on a sale or not getting every ounce of the market you could get today because you're you're under-promising. You, any thoughts about that yeah. kind of an idea? Um, to us, reliability is key. Uh, so more importantly than anything is uh, we make the most reliable product that we're capable of making. Um you know, I, I it, holding back a little bit is good for the parts in general, just because they don't heat up as uh, quickly. Um, but also for, you know, in my mind, I don't know if it's right or wrong, um, but in my mind, you know, in case technology didn't progress as well as I it could, you know, I could still 
come out with maybe I would still have time for maybe another release of a, a more powerful or exciting um, release, even if technology didn't necessarily warrant it just because we do have the built-in reserves and I can always push it up a little bit if I needed to. Um, but that's just a personal opinion. So yeah. I don't know. Well, can you, can you talk about this idea of, for some folks, it could be depressing that the market is always going to want more and that it's, it could feel like a never ending treadmill of, you know, we're going to need, the competition is going to try and come out with a faster, lighter bike than us. That's just as yeah. tough. And it could feel like a, it could feel like a, like being, you know, tied to the hamster wheel to always yeah. have to come up with something better. But when I talk to you, it almost feels like that's what you're in it for. Like that's the sport you, you signed up to play. And like, it's almost like you think it's fun to play. That yeah. Sport. I that love, fair? I love competition. You know, if someone comes out with something better to me, it's just going to drive me that much harder. I love to fight back. You know, if, if no one's coming out with anything interesting, you know, I'm, I'm my biggest competition. We're going to, we're going to raise the bar and do something different. And I, I, every year I want to do something, you know, I don't want to just sit on something. I want, I want to change it. I want to make it better. So, uh, luckily for us, technology has been improving. So we've been able to do that. Um, but I'm always trying to figure out if no one's pushing us, I'm going to push us. It's interesting how, you know, um, at our consulting firm, we, we, the leadership training, kind of like the enterprise excellence work that we, we do with continuous improvement and lean and stuff like that. It, uh, we're big fans of the stoic philosophers from like 2,500 years ago, like Marcus Aurelius and Epictetus and all those old guys with long names. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it does seem like for them so often they just chose how they were going to feel about a different situation. Like it's like, Hey, you're looking at a situation, maybe you have a knee jerk reaction to it. But after that knee jerk reaction, you can intentionally think what you want to think about a situation. Like there's, there's what happened. And then there's our perception of what happened. And they would like intentionally ask themselves questions to, to rethink what they wanted to think about a situation Mm -hmm. And, and like, you know, how to turn obstacles into the stepping stone for, for getting what they want instead of just a block. And it, yeah. it sounds like you've just like intentionally embraced like, Hey, we're going to play a sport. It's called continual improvement. It's called getting, getting, getting better every day. Is that, is that fair? Is that, how would you say it differently? Uh, no, I, I guess I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of it stemmed, and I'm a big advocate of sports, but I, I love to play basketball. And when I was little, my dream was to play in the NBA. Um, never really panned out to the NBA, but I, I still played overseas in Spain. And uh, I played in the IBL, which is a, was a, a little pro league in, um, in uh, around Portland. And they had some teams up in the Northwest. But you know, I had fun doing it and I loved the competition and I loved the hard work and dedication and needed to, and to improve, like what you needed to do to improve was, you know, it was, it was, it was hard work waking up early and lifting weights and running and doing suicide drills on the court and, uh, just, you know, fighting back, you know, always having that fighting mentality when you're losing. Cause I hated losing. I just, I couldn't stand it. So whatever it took to win, I was, I was down to give it my all. So, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of it honestly translates from sport. I love it. Being a business owner. Yeah. Well, um, besides, uh, checking out your social where you have some great, great videos, uh, the website high power cycles, which is H I dash power cycles.com. Um, what, uh, anything else that you'd want to put out there as far as people who want to check out the product and learn more about it? 
Uh, just thank you to everyone that's been supporting us over the years and pushed us to make U.S. made products and they're just behind us and behind everything we do. Um, yeah, just check out the website, highpowercycles.com, and we're going to keep trying to innovate for you guys and keep doing as much as we can in the U.S. Um, just because we're super proud of doing that. That's awesome. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.